everyone, and welcome to episode 190 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. It's Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we've got the full crew with us this week. First off, Richard, owner of MTG Goldfish. How's it going today, Richard? It's going well. What's going on, Seth? Uh, not much. We got a ton to talk about today, and joining us to help break it down, Chris Van Meter. What's up today, Chris? Hey, how's it going? Uh, doing well. I'm, I'm pretty hyped. This is a pretty exciting week. A pretty full podcast, actually. So, since last week, we got the full Guilds of Ravnica spoiler. So we have that to talk about. Some individual cards that we wanted to talk about. Not a ton, but a few. And then we had Worlds this weekend, which kind of took a weird twist. So we're not going to talk so much about the dead standard metagame and 60% red aggro and that boring stuff, but we had a protest and some weird uh, extra stuff going on at Worlds, which are pretty interesting to cover. And then we have some new sales news as well, uh, some Mythic Edition news, some Wizards selling stuff through Amazon and Walmart news. So we're going to be jumping around, wrapping things up with fish mail, of course, which means we should probably jump right into it because we got a lot to talk about. But first, a quick reminder that the sponsor of our show today is SpikesAcademy.com, the world's first Magic the Gathering e-learning academy. They have super sweet online courses created by great players like Paulo Vitor Damodarosa. You can check them out at spikesacademy.com. Even get 10% off if you use the cold goldfish. And for more info, spikes underscore academy on Twitter. So thank you to them for their support. And with that out of the way, let's jump right into this, starting with the biggest news, which is Guilds of Ravnica. So since we last casted, we got the full spoiler. How are y'all feeling about Guilds of Ravnica now that we see the full picture? I am very excited. Um, I don't care anything about Standard because they showed a couple cards off for Commander, which we're going to talk about soon. But I am very excited where White is going in Commander. And that just shifted my mind totally from Standard to Commander. So Guilds of Ravnica, I have just Commander on my mind. Uh, and hopefully you guys have comments about Standard. <laughs> uh, what about you? I am like... I'm like mega hype, and it's for a myriad of different reasons. Not just that the cards in Guilds of Ravnica look sweet, and I can't wait to play with them, but we have the standard rotation, we're losing a bunch of old sets and busted cards that had to get banned in standard. Um, I'm hyped for the next set, because we're going to have Rakdos and Gruul uh, to finish out the Jun colors that I like playing so much. Um, and there's just so much cool things that you can do in the current standard. Um, even though some of the colors are kind of cut off because the mana is just like really bad, unless you're playing the colors that are pushed. But so far, it's just been, man, it's been insane, and I can't wait to keep playing with these cards. Yeah, I'm super excited too. I think I'm most I'm excited for Guilds of Ravnica because the set does look really sweet. But I am super ready for rotation. I was looking at uh, Worlds this weekend, and we'll talk more about that later. But uh, the big decks were Hazret, Scarab God, and I look back at Worlds a year ago, and the meta game was well, they had energy added in, which was banned, but it was essentially the same Hazret, Scarab God. So I'm just so ready for the old kings and queens of Standard to get out of the format, give us some fresh cards to brew with and I think it's going to be really fun. I am just very excited for deck building and playing standard again and it's been a couple of months that I've kind of just been blah about standard as I wait for rotation so I'm super hyped for that as well. Yeah the the, the one thing that's really stuck out is with this rotation um, there are a ton of awesome cards especially in Corset 2019 that just like you couldn't play because 
like the Hazarads and the Scarab Gods and like those decks were just so good and so oppressive that I'm just finding tons of cards in Core Set 19 that that I just, I'm falling in love with all over again. It's great. Yeah, that's one of the best parts of rotation isn't just the new cards, but all the cards that remain in the format and don't re- uh, rotate, you get to see them through an entirely new lens because stuff that was good, but not quite Scarab God good or Hazaret good or couldn't match up with like the really dominant tuned streamlined decks that people have been building for like a year and just getting to their optimal state. All of a sudden, all those cards have a chance again. So it's, it's the best time of the year. I almost wish that we still had more rotations and rotated twice a year because it really is the best time in standard when rotation happens. It's just so much fun. Anyway, we have some cards we wanted to talk about. So we picked just a handful because we got a lot of topics today. So Richard, why don't you walk us through our Guilds of Ravnica cards for today? Okay, we each chose two cards we want to talk about because uh, the whole set was released this week. And I chose two white cards. Uh, <laughs> first up, Dawn of Hope, one in a white enchantment. It's a rare when you gain life, you may pay two generic mana. If you do, draw a card. Three and a white, create a 1-1 one, one white soldier creature token with lifelink. And the reason I'm excited about this card is not for standard. I don't know what you would do with this in standard. But for EDH, we finally have good card draw. Like, gaining life is not that hard. You have gain lands, you have lifelink, you have stuff that just incrementally gains you life, like Pristine Talisman. And now, as a white deck, you have ways to draw. The problem with white in Commander is it can't draw cards. You know, green can draw cards based on the power of the creatures. Black can draw cards by paying life. Uh, blue can just straight up draw cards. And red can draw cards by exiling cards. And so far, white can only draw cards by either like tutoring lands up like a land tax effect or uh, getting more creatures like Militia Bugler, Rebels, and things like that. So just having an easy way to draw cards makes me very excited. It makes me excited to play my life gain lands uh, trigger. (laughs) It's now basically pay two mana draw a card, right? So I am very excited for what they're doing with White's kind of identity here and giving all the colors access to card draw. So how much you got to build around this, Richard? Can you just stick this in a white deck with minimal minimal work and have it be good enough or do you got to be playing like a life gain themed white deck i think i'm going to jam this in most of my white decks like pristine talisman uh the the life gain lands and then usually you have just random life linking things like maybe like a loxon and warhammer things like that so i think we have enough incidental life gain that you don't actually need to go you know all in on a life gain deck it also is like a self-serving thing too because you can make one one life linkers with it yeah so it does kind of like spiral itself i I actually like this card in standard as a sideboard card. I feel like this is a pretty reasonable sideboard card if you're playing some sort of like white aggro deck with some amount of life gain creatures as a way to kind of have a Argul's Bloodfast almost against control decks. You slip it in on turn two under counters. If you think about it, the making a 1-1 soldier, the amount of mana you're spending is the same that you would spend as if you flipped a Legion's Landing. Like it's four mana, the same there, and that's already a pretty good ability. And then you draw some extra cards as you're gaining life. You do got to build around it somewhat, but I think there's a chance this is a good sideboard card against control decks if you're playing like a white aggro deck with lifelink creatures. I think it's also just a great sideboard card if you're a control deck. 
Like, it's going to give you something to do with your mana every turn. Like, 1-1 one, one lifelinkers are way more valuable. In the control deck, you know, the ability to draw cards once you start to, to attack with them. Or if you're even blocking it on defense. I just think it's a very good sideboard card in general and standard. All right. Mo- moving on the, the white hype train here. We got Camaraderie. Four green and a white. So, it's Selesnia, 6 CMC, Sorcery. Gain X life. Draw X cards. Where X is a number of creatures you control. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. It's, it's like basically a- Sphinx's revelation, right, guys? It is. It's Selesnia. <laughs> it's the Selesnia Sphinx's revelation. I mean, in Commander, I think it is. It seems so good in Commander. I don't know about Standard. Six mana is a lot, and there's going to be times when it does nothing, but it seems super powerful in Commander. Yeah, decks that go wide will love this. Yeah, it's there's already a card from Arcadian Mass that's similar, Collective Unconsciousness. Just four green green, draw a card for each creature you control. And so I, this is a very similar card, but I, I think what puts this over the top is that it just gives your team a mini anthem that turn. So, like, you draw a bunch of cards, make your creatures bigger, you can attack, and then if you lose some in combat, you just replace them with the cards you drew. Yeah, and then you, if you have Dawn of Hope, you can pay two more mana and draw one extra card. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to uh, say this. I guess like, this goes with every card. Avenger of Zendikar. <laughs> you just play that, make a bunch of plant tokens. Next turn, play this. Or if you have some mana doubling effect, you can play both on the same turn. Uh, it just goes nuts. Uh, elf decks, druid decks, uh, green go wide strategies will love this card. And it's the perfect compliment because most of the green card draw today is power based uh you know like draw x cards where x is the highest power creature you have so this gives your go wide green decks uh something else and then it pairs with white white makes a lot of tokens so uh it's a great selesnia card draw card yeah it seems like a staple in any sort of token strategy tristani uh maybe if you're playing rise the redeemed any of those type of decks are gonna really love this and they're 99 in commander all right next up we have seth's choice of null hide ferox two green green so four cmc it's a six six creature beast hexproof you can't cast non-creature spells pay two generic mana Nullhide Ferox loses all abilities until end of turn. Any player may activate this ability. And then uh, the next line of text is, If a spell or ability an opponent controls causes you to discard Nullhide Ferox, put it onto the battlefield instead of putting it into your graveyard. So I mostly wanted to talk about this card because I still haven't really figured out how good it is. So there's so much text on it, and the stats are insane, but it's really hard to figure out if, like, with the drawback and just all the pieces of this card. So I think the couple of things I'm confident in is we already have green Stompy decks in standard with, like, Llanowar into Steelleaf Champion, and those decks already play very few non-creature spells, so you kind of just can play this as a four drop, maybe play it on turn three because of your ramp, and that's a pretty big, powerful creature. The other thing is, it's a nice safety valve for Nicobo Bolas in standard. Like, it's gonna make it a little risky to just slam a Nicole Bolas on turn four, because if you have one of these in your hand and your opponent is able to play it for free, it just completely trumps Nicole Bolas and your Grixis removal and whatnot. Gonna have a hard time dealing with it. But I don't know, like, how good is this card? What do you guys think of this card? So I have a little bit of insight. Um, I think that the card is good. Uh, it seems like it's going to be best paired with the card Assassin's Trophy uh, as just like a catch-all, so you're not having to diversify your non-creature spells to answer your opponent's threats. I also think that it pairs very well with creatures that have abilities like spells, so things like Reclamation Sage, Knight of Autumn, 
Ravenous Chupacabra, like those types of cards pair very well with it, as you're able to kind of skirt that, the drawback for it. The one thing that I think that the card has against it is I think that the Eldest Reborn is one of the best cards in Standard uh, when this rotation happens, and that is a way to get around the card having Hexproof. Uh, so there is chances where <clears throat> your opponent just picks off your other creatures and then snags it with the Eldest Reborn. That's actually hilarious because Eldest Reborn also makes your opponent discard, so you can blow out a Nullhide Ferox or get blown out by it, all with one Eldest Reborn, depending on what yep. lore counter. <laughs> <laughs> this card kind of reminds me of Frost Titan. In that, if you want to use removal on it, you got to pay the two mana tax to turn off its ability. Uh, so if you're ramping in on this, uh, you know, on turn three, you're dropping this, your opponent needs to spend two mana to turn off this ability, and then they have one to two mana for their removal. I, what I really want to do with this, though, is just find Hollow One players in Modern, build a deck <laughs> with Null High Ferox, uh, Obstinate Bayloth, and uh, oh, Locks and uh, Will, Spider. Will Wilt Leaf Leash, Wilt Leaf Decapod. You could build like 20 creatures that have this ability. Yeah, and you just sit there and your opponent, you know, plays their spell and you're like, guess who has 20 power on turn one? <laughs> Me, not you. <laughs> it would be hilarious. Uh, that would be that would be pretty sweet. What about Commander Richard? Any Commander potential for No Hide Fair Eyes? No, this is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> because, uh, you know, your opponent number one can turn off the ability and then opponent number two can kill it. Like, you can get teamed up. So it's not good. And, you know, four mana 6-6 six, six is not even good enough for Commander. So how if you, you can play it, donate it to somebody, and then play Curse Totem so people can't activate creatures' abilities. Yes. Also, in Standard, you have a Sorceress Spyglass, which you could name Nullhide Ferox, and uh, in either make sure your opponent can't kill it, or uh, kind of screw your opponent over by them not ever being able to cast their non-creature spells. Yeah. I'm just going to say I almost had a heart attack reading this card when it was first spoiled, because it was like, four mana 6-6 six, six, Hexproof. You can't cast non-creature spells. I thought that was like the only downside. I'm like, what? <laughs> and I thought it had another ability, but good thing that ability was, uh, you know, a negative ability. But I, I yeah. had some like Thrun flashbacks or something here. <laughs> Ultimately, I think the card is going to be good. Um, it's just going to come down to jumping through the hoops that it wants you to jump through for the massive payoff. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have Venerated Loxodon. Four into white. Uh, so 5 CMC, it's a 4-4 creature, Elephant Cleric, Convoke. When Venerated Loxodon enters the battlefield, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature that convoked it. This is my pick for one of the biggest sleepers from the set. I feel like this card, I haven't seen it getting a lot of hype, and I think it's incredibly powerful. It's so, like, if you imagine playing something that makes two tokens on turn two, like Sapperling Migration... And then you just convoke this out on turn three. You end turn three with eight power and three bodies on the battlefield. If you have two things that make those tokens, it's pretty easy to just end turn three with 10 plus power thanks to Venerated Loxodon. A little worried about Goblin Chain Whirler. We'll see how the metagame shakes out. Like, are you going to be severely punished for playing one toughness creatures? Uh, maybe that will be an issue. But this card offers a lot of power and toughness for a really cheap cost thanks to Convoke. Yeah, uh, I think that one of the premier threats in the format in standard at least is going to be history of banalia and this card works very very well with history of banalia um so i think you're right it's not getting a ton of hype i feel like it's kind of flying under the radar a little bit there have been a few uh writers on scg that have talked about it and had it in their like green white uh lists whether it be tokens or convoke or just stompy but i think it is a very good card and 
yeah, it, it just pairs well with history, but now I... And Richard, Elephant Tribal and Commander? Ah, <laughs> uh, that's Tomer's thing. <laughs> I think it's actually pretty good, though. Like, if you convoke four creatures, it's a one-mana 4-4 four, four that gives you plus four encounters. So uh, if you can enable tokens in Standard, I think it'll be really good. And it's also just really good in Commander, too, I guess, if you have a token-based uh, strategy as well. And we were kind of talking about in Standard, uh, thanks to, like, Teferis, Assassins, Trophy, etc., wanting things that do things right away. Like, it's punishing to just play a five-mana do-nothing and then have it die for two mana or have Teferi deal with it. But this does give you value right away. Like, those counters are going to stick around, even if your Venerated Loxodon immediately does die. All right, last up, we have Chris's card, which is not a single card, but a class of cards. Chris has chosen all the split cards. Chris, I understand you've been testing with split cards. I have, and they are awesome. So, so far, my, my pick for most subtly powerful is Find Finality. So this is the Golgari split card, the rare version. The find side is two hybrid mana, green, black, green, black, that you get two creature cards from your graveyard. And the finality side is four, green, and a black. Put two one-one counters on one of your guys, and then everything gets minus four, minus four. This card has just been fabulous. Uh, I've been trying to make Rasko work uh, because a four mana Planeswalker with a card advantage ability and the ability to protect herself is very good. There's a lot of other text and hoops stapled onto the card for, for you to make it work. But in playing it alongside Find Finality, I've just been very, very impressed with this card. And I expect that expect to see it a lot uh, on SCG coverage moving forward as we start seeing standard tournaments. I think that Find Finality is just an insane insane card advantage card. On the flip side, the other one that's impressed me is Integrity Intervention. So that's one of the Boros split cards, the uncommon one, uh, where you have red-white to give a creature plus two plus two, or two red-white for a lightning helix. Uh, and this card has just been great. It gives you reach in the late game, a little bit of life gain uh, when you need it, and just the ability to pump a creature and trade in combat. It's very, very good. Standard, in standard, we're not usually playing these pump spells because, like, it leaves you the chance to get blown out or, you know, there's an opportunity cost to playing the pump spell because you have to have creatures. But with this being a split card, having the flexibility of just being a lightning helix when you need it, but also the ability to just blow out your opponent for one mana, it's just been very, very good and something that you're going to have to learn to play around. That's interesting. Like, that does kind of minimize the downside. Like, having a lightning helix minimizes the downside of playing a pump spell in standard. I am also excited for some of the other ones. I feel like a lot of the split cards have at least some amount of potential. I really like status stats. I don't know if that'll see play before we get the rest of the Shocklands in the winner set, but I feel like in a Jun deck, that could be a very strong card, especially if you have Rabble Master. And double tutoring with, man, I gotta like tip my head sideways to read these cards. <laughs> Invert Invent, uh, Instant Speed. I really like the potential of that one as well. Maybe finding your Nexus of Fate or something in a Jeskai deck or a Is It deck. Yeah, the, the other one that's been good, uh, and I can't remember the name of it, but it's, uh, I think it's Response and Resurgence, the Celestia rare one. Uh, the two mana side puts a 1-1 counter on a creature you control and it gets indestructible, which is very, very good. There are a lot of good early creatures, uh, and particularly in, in Celestia, Amara, uh, Souls Accord, is a creature that you just want to be able to attack and keep it alive. And if you're like blanking a removal spell or keeping it alive and tr you know killing a creature in combat, also getting the 1-1 has been awesome. But then, much like Integrity uh, Intervention, you have this backside of just instant 6-mana make 3 two twos, which is just, I mean, that can just win the game on the spot sometimes. 
have have you tried connive concoct it all chris the our preordained type spell with surveil like is that or no i'm sorry that's the wrong one i'm looking at the other yeah, that's, black that's, one. that's the control that's the control magic reanimate one yeah the surveil the surveil black cantrip one have you tried that one at all yet yeah so i, I had like a, a blue black mid-range deck that i've been playing that, that I started out with two copies of that card, and I am currently down to one just because there are a lot of other things that you should be doing on turn two. And it's it's really weird because, like, the idea of a preordain in standard is like, yo, this is great, like, right? Preordain was busted, like, this is only a two mana preordain, still has to be fine. But with the way standard is now, as opposed to how it was when preordain was printed before, all of the cards that you're going to put in your standard deck are just good. You can't afford to play, like, these highly situational cards so you just have to play all these powerhouses so before where it's like yeah i'm gonna hold my preordain to find like a jace or a stoneforge mystic or a sun titan or a gideon late you don't need to do that now in standard because you just have like up the curve all these powerful cards uh so i'm finding that i'm wanting to play the card less and less and i suspect that eventually it'll just be cut and we actually won't even see it being play unfortunately interesting which is like the opposite of what i initially thought when i saw it spoiled and I think, uh, do we have any other Guilds of Ravnica stuff we want to talk about before we move on to our other topics for today? I just want to point out, people are sleeping on Vraska, Format of Vraska. She started at 20 on pre-orders, has been sliding all the way down, and she is way, way better than I gave her credit for. The mo- first time I-, I cast it, I was like, wow, this card's like way better than I thought. So you think it's good immediately, or it's something that'll be good after we get the full, well, the winner set, I guess, the full block? Is it something you expect to see play right away in Golgari decks or three-color green-black decks? Yeah, it's gonna, it, it, it'll, it'll see play immediately. It's just very, very good. Well, with Gilza Ravnica out of the way, let's move on and talk a bit about World. So as approximately 20% of the Magic community uh, seemed to know, Worlds was this weekend. Uh, and the big news of Worlds wasn't so much the tournament itself, which it was old standard, it was Dominaria draft, it was 60% red aggro decks, and not in all that exciting from a gameplay perspective, especially right in the middle of Guilds of Ravnica hype coming out in a week we had pre-release, so that part of it was weird. The big news, though, was Jerry Thompson, who was qualified for Worlds, and to put this in perspective, Worlds, I think the EV is like $12,500, like if you just split the prize pool up between everyone, it's a lot of money, and also a lot of pro points, which qualifies you for platinum and gets you more money and buys and etc pro tours so it's a bit huge the biggest ev tournament we have and jerry thompson decided not to play the tournament 45 minutes before the tournament to protest the state of competitive magic and professional magic so uh what do you all think of the jerry thompson protest and his uh his move of boycotting worlds i think it's pretty admirable to put your kind of you know your money where your mouth is you know brian kibler did a thing with moto when i think he played some big event he was like deep into the event it crashed uh restart the event and he just got his you know uh his uh entry feedback and you know he basically just quit magic off of that and he has become a successful hearthstone streamer and as a result of that wizards implemented some changes to how they run uh, their tournaments and their online events and things like that. So they took Moto down for over a week. Yeah. The first time that's ever happened. So I hope Jerry can get a response similar to that. I mean, he's, he's a big name. Uh, this was, you know, it's very visible, uh, on Reddit. So at least to the enfranchised players, very visible. Uh, magic players have been underpaid for a long time. We know this. 
you know, we know that the prize pool hasn't grown significantly uh, in the last, I think, 10 years or so. It's kind of just remained the same. And if you believe anything that Watsi says, you know, magic has grown exponentially since then, right? But we don't see the course, you know, the corresponding prize pool increase. We don't see, you know, any additional support for pro players. We don't see uh, significantly better coverage. Uh, you know, coverage has improved, but it's, it's kind of just the same as it was a couple of years ago, but just slightly better. Nothing dramatically different has happened. And if you look at other esports, which Wizards is, uh, hoping to compete with every year, they're just exponentially getting better, right? Like it's like double the prize pool, triple the prize pool, like multi millions of dollars. Uh, you know, the, the dream of being pro actually has a payoff. Whereas the dream of being a pro magic player has no payoff. It's like negative EV, right? I think, Someone did the stats and they're like the most successful players. If you average their career earnings out, it's like 30 or 40,000 a year. And that's before they've paid for all their flights and hotels and food on the road and things like that. It's, you know, it's basically nothing. Whereas you could make millions of dollars, you know, being a successful Fortnite streamer, right? So there, there, it's just not worth it today. And if Wizards wants this pro scene to thrive and to grow and to promote the game i think they do need to add more resources so i really do hope that uh jerry gets some traction with this and you know something happens right because the pros are kind of just doing it out of love for the game and that can only take it so far yeah i mean that seems like that, that was a very good synopsis uh i love jerry he's one of my favorite favorite people on the planet um and i'm really happy uh that he's doing this because for a very long time uh, the pro community has been very vocal about gripes that they have and just kind of like <clears throat> take the scraps that Wizards throws to placate everybody. And Jerry finally said, hey, you know, I've had enough. I'm not going to stand for this anymore. I'm, I'm going to do something and hopefully it will have, have an effect on the state of pro magic. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see, you know, other types of demonstrations like this. Uh, where pros are like not playing in pro tours or you know not participating in things that they're invited to, um, uh, because like something needs to change, uh, and I hope that something does change, and it's not just this you know, you know half half butted like just the the response that Wizards made just felt like is is bad. It, it, it felt like it, everything just fell on deaf ears, and hopefully, like something actually changes because it, it got a lot of coverage it was huge on 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 river a lot of shares on on twitter like kotaku even picked it up and like wrote a piece on it like a handful of minutes after everything started to go viral so like there are more eyes on this than just the handful of people that were watching magic worlds and uh i hope that I hope that some change comes for it because it would be really nice to be able to sell this dream of trying to be a magic pro and not have it be a pyramid scheme. Yeah, I have a ton of respect for Jerry doing this. Uh, it's really easy to complain about things on social media or on the internet, but actually giving up uh, pro points and guaranteed money that I'm sure is very helpful. Like <laughs> the whole thing is about, well, at least part of it is about how poorly pros are played. So giving up a huge chunk of your potential income of being a pro to make this statement. So I have a ton of respect for that, like putting your money where your mouth is and not just complaining about it. As far as changes, I don't know. The Wizards response, and I'll cut them some slack because 
it was short notice, and they put out the response like a couple hours, maybe less after this whole thing started uh, on Friday. So maybe we'll get a more reasoned and thought out response. But their response was kind of like, eh, we're already doing all this stuff. Like, just give us some time. Don't worry. Like, everything's heading that direction already. And I think that was a little bit disappointing because it, it didn't really seem to acknowledge some of the issues that are going on. And when you combine that with Worlds just having essentially no promotion, like even less promotion than Worlds has had in past years, combining that with just playing a standard format that everyone is just done with. People are just checked out of standard right now, waiting for Guilds of Ravnica to release next weekend. Uh, I don't know what they were thinking. Like, I just, I don't understand this event. And I feel like that's something I've said several times. We talked about it with the Silver Showcase or Showdown or whatever that was. Uh, We talked about it with Worlds. And there's been so many head-scratching decisions with these high EV big events that are supposed to be awesome and then end up just being a PR nightmare. So maybe the combination of Jerry's statement and it getting a lot of traction and just like uh, their weird events that are constantly getting negative feedback, maybe this will be something that sparks change. But if there's one thing I've learned, it's it's don't hold your breath for things like that happening quickly with Wizards. Uh, if change does come, I expect it's going to be a long and slow process. Yeah. And we're about to learn how much Wizards values the pro scene. We already know, like, pro magic is a very tiny aspect of magic. Like, most players are casual. They don't watch Twitch. They don't watch the pro tour. So we already know it's tiny. But within that, is that even important enough? Because uh, there's a reason why no one watches Worlds, right? We we watch the pro tour because we want to see new decks. But then after the metagame has been quote-unquote solved, we don't tune into coverage anymore, right? We don't watch Dead Standard. We don't watch you know, high-level magic anymore because we're interested in seeing new decks, right? And that doesn't happen with other sports. Like, you don't stop watching football because the metagame's been solved. Like, you know, you still watch football anyway, but as soon as standard is solved, no one watches anymore. So there's there's a question of how much value does this bring to Wizards and are they willing to put more money into it and grow it? Or if they think, you know, most people don't watch pro magic, it's okay how it is, and if the pros don't want to play, then you know next next person up will play right and it'll be interesting to see what the response is to see uh you know how they think of the pro scene and how much they should uh grow it themselves i think uh i mean worlds itself was not very heavily watched Uh, the meme of the weekend was it was getting beat out by a game called russian fishing four which is literally (laughs) a fishing simulator (laughs) so uh so and then i checked during the finals and it had like fifteen thousand viewers on twitch which even by magic standards is pretty bad like pro tour is a good one we'll get 30 or up to forty thousand during the finals so even as far as like magic tournaments worlds was not very successful and i wonder like how much of that do you think was jerry's protest like i saw people saying i'm not gonna watch because of this protest and to support jerry so do you think that jerry's protest like immediately paid some amount of dividends with people tuning out of worlds I mean, it had some impact, but 56% of the competitors were playing that black red ad- the black-red deck. Like, come on. Like, we've been watching this for almost two years now. Like, we don't want to see it anymore. Like, there were way more people watching the team series portion because you got to see Guilds of Ravnica cards. Uh, like, um, yeah, I'm sure Jerry's protest did have some impact on viewership, but, like, the content... Like, the content was just stale. So before we move on to our next topic, 
you are in charge of wizards. Give me the one thing you do immediately to help remedy this this situation. Like, what's what's the one first biggest thing you could do to help uh, alleviate some of Jerry's concerns and improve the competitive scene? So the first thing that I would do is I would take Brian Gottlieb's suggestion. So for those who don't know, Brian is a Seattle local. Uh, he's part of the GAM podcast with Jerry. Uh, and Brian made a tweet uh, earlier, and I'll read this tweet fairly quickly. Uh, Watsi, if you have any interest in addressing the raised issues surrounding your professional scene, today is the day you must start. You cannot send your world champion on their way with a handshake and a trophy. A single, unprofessional post-match interview will not do. When the world champion is crowned later today, their picture needs to be plastered all over your website and your Facebook, Instagram, other social media. Their face should be your Twitter avatar. You need to sit down and do an edited, high-production-value interview detailing their entire world story. Contact every content producer you have a relationship. Your world champ needs to be playing Magic against Day 9. Hand them a commander deck and get them on your popular commander base shows. Schedule grudge matches against Danny Trejo and upload them to YouTube. Fly them to Renton and do a video feature in which they declare Guilds of Ravnica officially released and then play the employee release party. When Arena launches, make a cosmetic celebrating their victory. Use all the resources at your disposal to make this person the face of Magic the Gathering for the next month. Show the players that you are ready to do what it takes to start making stars. Give your best players the type of opportunities that appeal to marketers. Don't let this become a time of discontent. Let it be a start of a promising new era in professional magic. Obviously, some of that is big picture, far-fetched stuff, but like that's the kind of things that should be happening. Like this whole story with Luis Salvato is insane. He's in a a, a playoff against Seth Manfield for Player of the Year. He's he he made it to the finals last year and lost uh, the the world the world championship. Gets back again this year and wins. Like Luis Salvato should be everywhere on everything. Now that he's won this world championship. So I just went to the mothership, uh, dailymtg.com, and there's nothing. I mean, I guess technically there's something on like the, the side. There's a little bit of text that says world championship finals that I guess if you click on it, it'll go somewhere. But the pictures are Guilds of Ravnica pre-release primer, big article, Mark Rosewater article, MTG portal limited beta coming, but not as soon as we thought. Like that's what it is in spoiler videos from Wedge and one of my YouTube videos. There's nothing. There's like Wizards doesn't care. I mean, I agree with basically everything that tweet says but wizards did not do anything as far as uh promoting this event or the champion of this event so here's how i would fix it and i've only thought about this every time we've talked about it on the podcast uh but just off the top of my head this is what i would do i would make a local premier league in Renton or in Seattle, okay? And you could cap it at 20 to 30 competitors. So maybe, you know, whatever Platinum Pros are today or, or whatever, right? And every week you would play there and you would broadcast it. And the idea is you have a fixed location. So if you want to be a pro, you know you move to Seattle and you live there and that's it. You don't have to fly around every month or every week. You don't have to, you know, pay for hotel fees, flights, eat on the road, etc., etc. You have a stable home. And what that allows you to do is make a dedicated studio where you don't have to haul your camera equipment around, your feature match equipment. You can put everything there. You can make stands. And when play people play feature matches, you give them special decks where each card has a chip or something in it so that you know exactly what card everyone is drawing at all times, right? And this allow you know, 
This allows you to just up everything so cheaply because you don't have to travel, right? It's expensive for Watsi to travel to every single city around the world to do coverage. So if you do it in one place, uh, that solves it. And you can make our Grand Prix and our, um, you know, all, all those kind of events, just open events where they're all over the world like we have today. And what you're doing there is you're competing for enough points to enter the league in Seattle, right? And the way most sports do this is like the bottom half of that league uh, gets a chance to be relegated. And then uh, the, the new players that are winning from the open series get to come in. And that's how you keep, you know, the highest competitors there while giving a shot of new people to come in. And I feel like most of the problem is just moving around. It just costs so much for everyone. Watsi, competitors, everyone. It's already impossible to find parking here in Seattle. And you want to move all these players here to try and be on some Magic Pro? Rented. <laughs> Come on, Rented. you're killing me. It's the same thing. I, I will say that, like, you kind of see that hub, though, with Star City Games. Like, a lot of their content people... They move to Richmond and they, they hang out there and they have their community and stuff. So I like the idea of Wizards building an esports arena to host all their big events or having something like that that's always in the same place where you have a permanent home for these events. The other thing is, and I've been saying this forever, I have no idea why we don't have Cedric Phillips and Patrick Sullivan doing these events. Like maybe there's contractual stuff or something, but if you look at sporting events, like there's a higher to announcers and you kind of stick your, your, you know, your new announcers or you're not that great team on the Buffalo Bills game. But then when the Super Bowl comes, you have your A team of your very best people doing that event. So I will never understand why who everyone knows are the best announcing team in Magic, uh, Cedric and Patrick, I will never understand why they don't have a part in those type events, unless it's some contractual thing that keeps it from happening, but dump a ton of money at them or something. Like, there's... It, 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 it comes, like, it comes from, if they do that, then they're admitting that what Cedric has built with his team on the SCG tour is superior. It is, though. Yeah, but they should, knows right? it. <laughs> That's how you improve, right? You're like, yeah, you guys are better. We'll just buy you out because we're bigger, right? And then go on from there, right? I'm not saying that that's, like, the cor- like a correct reason, but, like, I feel like that is the reason because there isn't anything else that I can think of that, that would stop them from doing it. Yeah. Seriously, I, I tune into SCG coverage because I like the magic, but I also just like watching them announce. They're funny and enjoyable to watch, and it doesn't always doesn't always happen like that with the official wizard event so i don't know I, I think that getting better broadcasters although there have been improvements and i do really like some of the current broadcasters but i think that would be a huge step forward and i don't know why you wouldn't put your best broadcast team on pro tours and worlds and things like that yeah i feel like there needs to be new blood in like the wizards management like i thought it would happen when they got the new ceo but nothing has changed but you know they're kind of stuck in their ways and they need someone to come in and turn everything upside down because wizards did used to innovate right remember there was magic on espn like 10 years ago or whatever right that was just simply weird right they did innovate and push the frontier but now they're kind of just taking the backstage and you know hearthstone has left them in the dust and guess what artifact is coming up and valve knows how to run tournaments valve knows how to make a prize pool Right. So this could be the death knell for pro magic as all the pros just migrate to artifact. Right. So wizards, I think, needs to do something or maybe this is just their stance. Their stance is we don't need pro magic. We just need people playing on the kitchen tables. Right. 
Oh, man. Interesting. Well, hopefully some change comes. And even if it doesn't, which I certainly hope it does, uh, nothing but respect for Jerry for making this stand. I think it's very honorable that he he would be so selfless to do that. So anyway, we got a couple other quick topics before we get to our fish mail. Uh, as far as product stuff. So two things we wanted to mention quickly. Number one, Mythic Edition, which we talked about before, those weird planeswalkers sold exclusively through the Hasbro toy shop on the internet well now you can pre-order them through channel fireball and pick them up at a gp so there's x number for each gp this includes gps that are not in the united states so it is a way you can get them if you couldn't order them through the hasbro toy shop so that's number one number two is on friday wizards posted an article called experimentation uh and the big theme of that article is that wizards is making formal relationships with Amazon, Walmart, and Target to directly sell magic cards through those online retailers. So you can go to walmart.com and buy magic cards essentially directly from Wizards. No distributor, no LGS selling on Amazon or anything. So what do you make of these two changes, guys? Rip local game stores. (laughs) Okay, so so Mythic Edition, fine, right? Of like, that's just Hasbro selling through their actual channel, which is the Grand Prix, and Channel Fireball has the order system of like, okay. And maybe it's unfair to other game stores, but Channel Fireball already has the monopoly on Grand Prix, so but selling on Amazon is a big deal. Selling on Amazon at $95 is a big deal. If they threw it up on Amazon at their quoted $4. Uh, a pack, you know, what is that, like $130? It'd be like, okay, right? Like, if you couldn't access this, then fine. Putting it at 95 is pretty cheap. It's only a couple bucks more than you would pay on eBay. It's probably a lot less than your local game store. Why would they do this, right? They, they literally cut out the game store and then undercut them as well. So <laughs> I feel like that is a, you know, like a very telling sign of what they think about local game stores and where the future of Magic is going, right? Like, the, the low price is what gets me, right? Not just selling on Amazon, but selling on Amazon for $95 below their MSRP. Like, how is a game store supposed to compete with that when they have to go through the distributor, they have to pay the Amazon fees in addition? It's just very shocking. I, I wouldn't have believed this unless I actually... I'm looking at the listing right now on Amazon. It's, like, mind-blowing. Yeah, I mean, as far as the Mythic Edition thing goes, I think it's kind of awkward that they're just, like, exclusively through the Hasbro Toy, Hasbro toy Shop, and they're like... Oh, also, we're going to do this, too. <laughs> like, I, I, I get that they're doing this. You know, a big part of it is from the outcry of, like, we're not in the U.S. We can't get this product and we want it. So I think that a compromise would have been to, like, only do the pre-order pickup for GPs outside of the U.S. And then take the the numbers that you would allocate towards the ones inside of the U.S. And just distribute those for the outside of the U.S. GPs. Um, and then, you know, what doesn't sell at the end of it goes back on the toy shop. Like, I think that that would have been a better way to tackle this. But that's neither here nor there. The selling on Amazon thing? Oh, gosh, that is just terrible. Like, Wedge Wedge Date made a very good video about it uh, over the weekend after the announcement was made. I think that it's cowardly that they sneak it in on an announcement on Friday when we're having all of this controversy about Worlds and how terrible the promotion is and Jerry... Um, not uh, not playing in it. I think it's cowardly for them to sneak it in like that, and I think that it's just a, a big spit in the face for your local game stores. Yeah, I I mean I think it 
it seems to send a pretty clear message that Wizards does not value local game stores. And this has been something that people have been talking about for a while. The last couple years, local game stores have already been feeling this with uh, like master sets showing up at Walmart and Target and just other small changes like that. And then Mythic Edition, to some extent, is another one, like not even giving local game stores the option to buy and sell this like high end product if they wanted to, and then you combine it with Wizards selling for a really cheap price on Amazon, and I don't, what is Wizards thinking? Like, what, are they just all in on Arena? Are they really thinking, like, paper tournament magic? Like, if you combine together Worlds, and no promotion, and the disaster of the dead formats, with Wizards essentially cutting, undercutting local game stores, like, does Wizard just not care about paper magic tournament scene and wants to just be like a casual game in paper and competitive and digital? Like, is that where we're heading? Is that what's going on here? I don't know. What's really weird. What's really weird with this is for a while, LGSs used to be able to buy some number, some amount of product direct from Watsi and not through a distributor. Um, and, and, you know, recently that has been cut off. Like Watsi stopped doing that. But now they're selling it direct through Amazon. Yeah, it just it just feels so weird to me. Like they're like, well, we I don't think we we're making enough money doing it this way. So now let's just see see how much money we can make by filtering it through Amazon instead of direct to the LGS. And I think it showing up on on Walmart and Target is also a big deal. Like I've been on the Walmart website before and search Magic cards, and uh, there's some weird stuff from like associated vendors or something. But you can't just buy a booster box through Walmart or Target, and those are sites that a lot of uh, if not magic players, uh, parents, grandparents are buying stuff from. So if you're looking for a, a Christmas gift or something for your kid or your grandkid, I imagine it's pretty easy to just slip a booster box into your order from Walmart or Target instead of going to the local game store down the street or whatever. Yeah, I feel like this is their plan to grow the game. Because, you know, if you were just a random person and you wanted to play magic, you didn't know what magic was. You probably don't know where your local game store is. You probably don't want to go there. Uh, you probably just want to hop on Amazon or while you're shopping at Target or Walmart, just pick it up. So for those people, uh, super easy access now, right? You're, why are you, why are you not selling on Amazon, right? It's like the biggest online marketplace, sure, right? But the problem with that is it, it cuts away at the local game stores, which Wizards needs because those are the game stores that hold the spaces to run their FNMs and to have a player, you know, a player community, right? It's not a single player game. It's a multiplayer game. You need a community. So by cutting that out, you're losing that community because you can't play with each other on Amazon. There's no spot in Walmart to play FNM, right? So if you just cut the local game stores out, where are people going to play Magic? And that seems to me like it's like a short-term trade-off for a long-term problem, right? Yeah, when you release it here, you'll sell a lot more stuff, but eventually there'll be no place for people to play, and then how's, you know, word of your game going to spread? So, according to the article, Wizard says that they believe... Uh selling these products uh, in their efforts to grow magic through selling these products on Amazon and Target and whatnot will actually come back in the form of more players to local game stores. Uh, true or false? Do you think that, is there any world where local game stores are actually going to benefit from this and we're all looking at it backwards? Or is that just corporate speak to keep us from freaking out about the local game stores? False. I am, I'm, ca- I'm cautiously pessimistic. I am not cautiously at all. I'm super, super, like, okay, name me a local game store that can compete with the pricing practices of Walmart and Amazon. 
right? Like yeah. maybe Channel Fireball, maybe Card Kingdom, maybe Star City Games, and that's it. And you know, those are not exactly quote unquote local game stores. Those are huge online stores, right? So when mom and pop store uh, needs to cut their booster box prices to ninety dollars, are they going to make any money and pay rent? Like I don't see it happening, right? I think the risk is that Magic is just not profitable for local game stores, and they stop caring as much, and it just spirals from there. Like, carrying less products means less players showing up to do FNM, which means less products, and pretty soon, like, uh, the game store is dead as far as Magic is concerned. So, I don't know. I, I'm a little nervous about it. We'll see. Maybe, maybe it'll work out better than I'm imagining, but it seems like negative changes for local game stores at the very least. Uh, short-term profits over like a long-term plan and sustainability. Yeah, and even if they take this back, as a local game store owner, I'm not actually one, but if I was one, I would be very concerned, right? Like, if they're willing to try things like this, uh, you know, if it doesn't work out for them due to the backlash, they take it back, but what's the next thing they're going to try on me, right? Like, I'm kind of the guinea pig and they don't value my presence. You know, it's a little, it's a little worrisome. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I think that's on top of a lot of messages that local game stores have been seeing that sounds like we don't really value you from Wizards. Like the the Master Set thing, uh, Mythic Edition thing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like for every Buy a Box promo, which is good for local game stores, there's like two or three things that sound like, Ugh, Wizards doesn't really care about us. So it might be that this is like kind of like a last straw thing. Like if it was this in isolation, it would be bad. But when it's this on top of a whole bunch of other things that local game stores read as Wizards not really support or caring about them, that's when it gets especially scary. I'm waiting for my exclusive Amazon pre-order card. It's happening. <laughs> oh, it's, no. It's, it's like a, it's like a one-man Tarmogoyf. <laughs> Only available if you order on Amazon. <laughs> uh, that's, that's not that far-fetched. Oh, dear. All right. Well, we got to hit up some fish mail real quick. We're running a bit long with all of our topics. So, Richard, guide us through some fish mail. All right, if you have questions, send them to at MTGGoldfish with the hashtag MTGFishMail, and we'll get to your questions on air. Rag3249, thoughts if Mythic Edition had textless planeswalkers? Watsy did textless cryptic command. What do you think? I like textless cards, but I think Watsy's rule is no textless cards because they're very confusing for new players, and Planeswalkers are probably some of the worst cards to have textless because they have so much text. It's not like Terminate. Like, Terminate, yes, it kills something, but Planeswalkers have a lot of text and different numbers and abilities, so I would like them, but I think they're a bad idea. I agree. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like them because it's just so hard to remember. Like, even Cryptic Command... Uh, you know, there's there's usually a fourth mode or something that people don't normally use. Like, you have a Planeswalker, and you finally get to ultimate it, and you're like, what did the ultimate do again? <laughs> I just win, right? Like, what does it actually do? Like, you just gotta look it up, and it's just very messy. Uh, Belly25. How long until the new argument becomes dies to Assassin's Trophy? I mean, doesn't everything die to Assassin's Trophy? <laughs> I think we're already there as we're talking about wanting things that do something when they enter the battlefield or make an impact even when they die. So in that sense, we're already there, but... Eh? Yeah, we, we've been there. I yeah, think I mean, it's a meme when people overuse it. Uh, you know, you're like, oh, the Ragtust dies to Doomblade, right? I'm like, yes, but it leaves all this other stuff, right? <laughs> but, you know, that's a valid concern, right? If you actually just play uh, a big creature... For like six mana, it does nothing, and someone plays two mana to kill it. That's actually very bad for you. So uh, it's a valid thing, but people kind of just overdo it with the memes. Uh, accordingly, 23. What is the most powerful card ever printed? Uh, Black Lotus. Hands down, Black Lotus. 
I'm going Black Lotus. I mean, it's weird because you do need another another card in your hand for Black Lotus to be powerful. If you have Black Lotus in six lands, Black Lotus isn't very good. But I still think it's got to be Black Lotus. Yeah. Ancestral Recall because the cards you draw could be a Black Lotus. <laughs> <laughs> could be three Black Lotuses. <laughs> Could be a boat. Uh, JC Thacker 21. Could there be a compromise between blocked and sealed where players bring 40 card constructed deck with one mythic, two rares, and four to eight uncommons? Not as high variance as sealed, but more focused than constructed. This was the duels of the planeswalker format, right? They had some restriction on number of mythics and rares and things you could use. Yeah, I think, I think that was the rarity restriction. One mythic, two rares, something like that. I never really played much duels. I think it was 60 card decks though. Yeah. Eh. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I would enjoy that format personally. Yeah, I'd rather just play limited. Yeah, I feel like we can only support one rotating constructed format and then the limited format because they used to try this with block and things like that. But those formats really never took off and people didn't really care too much to play those formats. Uh, the Fallen 3274, I just traded for a mono green Tron deck. I was wondering if Saffron Olive could sign some of the Tron pieces. Uh. Yes, I will. I will if I must. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah. I have a P.O. box for signing cards. Uh, so you can send them to P.O. Box 110, Clyde, New York, 14433. Just leave a self-addressed stamped envelope so I can get them back to you. Please, please, please. Otherwise, Seth is going to build a deck of all the cards Otherwise, people sent him. <laughs> yes, I will, be a, I will be a Tron player if you don't send a self-addressed stamped envelope. <laughs> Uh, Volrath's back. If they were going to draft a set from early this year at Worlds, why not Masters 25? Plus, with no Masters set uh, anymore, I would love to see current Masters set drafted at Worlds. What do you guys think of the choice of Guilds of Ravnica at Worlds? They should have. They literally could have done anything other than Dominaria. I, it's, it's very strange. Like, Dominaria is a good format. I'm glad they did that over Corset 2019, which would have been horrible. But I still don't understand why they don't do cooler stuff. Like, Guilds of Ravnica would be easy. A master set would be cool. Another shout out, Star City Games just does things really well with their tournaments, but they're doing a, a cube draft at their invitational this winter, uh, which is going to be super awesome. I think Worlds with Cube draft would be insanely popular and a ton of fun to watch so i don't know i don't know how wizards makes their decisions right okay i was confused <laughs> so what i think should have happened is worlds itself should have been guilds of ravnica and the um the team thing should have been like masters 25 like i i really want to see high level masters drafts because especially since we missed it yeah Right. And then I don't know why we're drafting Dominaria. Like, no one's buying Dominaria. Like, the whole point of Limited is let people go buy it. Like, why are we still drafting it? Uh, X Capitano. MTG competitive scene is always a big topic. How many players do you think really care? Uh, what portion of player base do spikes really represent? So we talked about this briefly. What do you guys actually think the spiky competitive scene of all of Magic? What do you actually think that represents? Because no, there's no actual number and no one's ever actually come up with any real research. And I, I think it really depends on how you define spiky competitive scene. Like, the number of players that are trying to grind GPs and PTQs to get on the Pro Tour, that's got to be really small, especially if you consider everyone that, you know, picked up an intro deck at Walmart on Impulse and played it one time or something. Like, that's got to be tiny, like 5%, 10%. But if you consider everyone that, like, goes to FNMs once a month or things like that, I think that number goes up a decent amount. Yeah, I think it's just really small. I think, like, the number of people on Reddit 
compared to let's say all of magic players is really small and then i also think the number of players on reddit that actually care about who won a tournament if i if i asked you who won the grand prix last week like how many people would actually know i feel that's very small compared to if I asked, you know, did the Bills win last week, right? A lot of people would know. So I feel like people just tune into coverage for new decks and they don't actually care about the players that much. Oh, but that isn't like all on the people's fault, right? Like the, a lot of that has to do with the fact that Watsi does not star build and does not build narratives for these right. players at all. Uh, philosophy. Faker is Saffron Olive just trolling us with his mispronunciations. It's hard to believe he can rattle off PVDDR's name repeatedly, but can't pronounce Etrata correctly even once. I don't even know how to pronounce that name. I just call it Arata because of Seth. <laughs> uh, sometimes. It's a, it's a little of both. There are some honest mispronunciations, and then there's some that are kind of meme-ish and fun. So, a li- little from column A, a little from column B. Alright. Uh, last question. Variant human. Months ago, there was fear on this podcast that card animations would clutter MTGA gameplay and would be a negative thing. How do you feel about animations in Arena now that you've all got some time on it? And we didn't talk about it, but the wipe. The wipe. We're going into open beta as well. Oh man, we could have done a whole podcast on Arena this week. I forgot all about that. The animations have improved, in my opinion. I think they've gotten more responsive of allowing you to do things while they are playing in some cases, but I feel like with some of the animations I've seen from Guilds of Ravnica, which seem very flashy and big and super cool looking, but I feel like Wizards has to keep moving down the Hearthstone path of just making it so you can do everything while the animation's playing. Yeah, well said. That's all our fish mail this week. Thank you to everyone who sent them in. If you have questions, you can send them to at Goldfish with the hashtag mdgfishmail. And I think that brings us to the end of episode 190 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Richard, Chris, thanks for hanging out. Thanks to everyone for listening. One last time, a shout out to the sponsor of our show today, SpikesAcademy.com. Check them out, SpikesAcademy.com, 10% off with the cold goldfish. So with that in mind, we will be back next week to maybe talk about some Guilds of Ravnica pre-release experiences, which is coming up this weekend. Go check out a pre-release. The set looks super awesome. Pick your favorite guild have a blast with it so until then this is the crew signing out